So I know a lot of people take it from these free sites. They're not always accurate. And people don't always understand the meaning behind it. And what happens is that people start abusing what they receive online. And then they don't have a practitioner explaining what it, what it really means, how to use it, the beauty behind personalities and how we can really bring out the best in people. This is why you always need a practitioner to guide you. Good evening, afternoon, good morning, wherever you are in the world. We are back with another live episode of Social Convos. I hope you got your warm beverage with you because we're going to get a little social tonight. So Diego, this is amazing. We're, n we're not even up yet and Gregory is already going. Let's go, people. Hey, Gregory, thank you so much for uh, tuning in once again. And we have a special guest tonight. So you want me to give a short introduction of my first experience with our with our guest of tonight? Yeah, let's do that. What was your first interaction? So our guest of tonight is uh, Shito Sujan, and she uh, runs a business with her husband. It's called Libra. And Libra is a place where, I mean, the training sessions are really, really good. And why am I saying that? I, I've said it once or twice before. It was the first time for me in, in a training session that all of my senses were being pushed. Like usually when you're in training session, you just see and you hear stuff. That's kind of how it works. You see something, you hear something. That's basically the traditional set of when you follow in training. But then when you start getting other senses that come involved, like feeling, and it, it was kind of, I'm not saying all of my senses were kind of getting like, I was connecting with all of them, but it was definitely more than two. And that was a really, really special experience. And then, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with uh, admitting that I cried during one of those sessions. I actually cried during one of those sessions because there was some emotional energy that had I had been holding it back, you know, at a certain point. So that is something I really want people to understand because I think it's really special when you're going to a training session and there's another dimension to the training session. And that's something I, I just want to share because for me, it was weird being in Suriname, getting a session at such a high level compared to even uh, outside of Suriname, compared to Europe, compared to the US. And basically, that's my introduction. She's also a great lecturer. We both teach at FHR. And the, our students have been very, very fond of her as well. And now also, she is very, very much involved in the digital scene. And she has transformed, transformed her business as well, partly due to, due to COVID, to become not only offline like when you have a training from libra connector but also becoming a voice for the introverts online so without further ado we'd like to introduce shito welcome to the show shito hello everyone thank you for having me here 
glad to have you here, Shito. And I must say that was a really, really a mouthful of an intro that was still very, I think, just touching the tip of the iceberg from what I'm gathering here. And I'm, the first thing I'm wondering, should I be scared that we're going to draw another tear tonight? <laughs> <laughs> what he just said was like, okay, wow. You know, I had no idea I did that, but I'm glad that the training had that impact on you, Sean Luke. So thank you for that introduction. Yeah, so so first before we start, because you want we want to introduce her to the fan base, so we want to tell you a little bit who's here as well. Tefan has already dropped in saying good evening. Raisha is also saying yes, and Tefan explains yeah, everyone. And Gregory actually mentioned that he missed last week, so he made sure that he's joining us. We have people from all over the Caribbean, so thank you for joining in as well, Ruan from Barbados and Rishanel. He he agrees with me. She is so good. And a special shout out from another Gregory, power to the introverts. So the first thing I noticed, Shito, when, when we were doing the sessions at Libra, is like, okay, is she from here? Is she from here? She speaks English very fluently. Is she actually from here? And then we found out that you were actually born somewhere else and raised somewhere else. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about how did you end up in Suriname? Well, you know, when I think back, I actually moved to Suriname three times in my life. And let me, let me start from the very beginning. I won't go into all the details. So I was born in India. For any of you who are wondering, my parents are from India. They were born and raised there. And I was born there as well. And not too long after I was born, uh, we moved to the Philippines, actually. My brother, my younger brother was born there. We were there for several years. And moved back to India for a little while, moved back to the Philippines. So in the first 10 years of my life, it was like back and forth, back and forth. And when I was 10 years old, my dad had already moved to Suriname because he was like literally traveling around the world to find a home for us. And he came to Suriname and he's like, I love this place. We're moving here. This is where we're going to call home. And then I told my dad, there's no way I'm coming because if I have to learn another language, I'm not coming. I was struggling in school because I had to learn from one language to another to another. And was, I was under 10. He's like, no, 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 there is an English school here. You don't have to learn Dutch. I said, perfect, let's go. <laughs> of course, I said that because I thought he's probably going to want to move somewhere else again. And that's going to drive me insane. But then for him, this was home. And he has been here since like a little over 30 years, like a long, long time. But I mo we moved then. I went to an English school. So hence, my Dutch has not been great. I learned Dutch through friends, through work, and very conversationally. I've never learned it, you know, at school. I lived here for a couple of years and then moved again. I went to Trinidad for a year. And that's a different story. I was like in the process of looking for schools and things like that. And Trinidad was the closest my dad would like send me. He's like, you know, <laughs> we've got family there. You can go there. And I really wanted to go to the States. And then, you know, we had a little family thing after that where I had to move back home. So something happened in the family. I wanted to support my family. I came back to Suriname and I stayed on here and I started working with my dad for a couple of years in retail. And then finally got an opportunity to leave, to go to the States, to study. 
was there for five years and my husband brought me back to Suriname. So I've been literally back and forth for the last couple of years. But for me, Suriname is my home. I've lived here more than I have lived anywhere else. And I can't imagine living anywhere else or raising my family anywhere else. Yeah, so we're technically Surinamese. So we, I'm technically we can... Surinamese, yeah. When, when we do a nationality draft, we can actually claim you as one of us. That's good to know. Absolutely. So after being forced to move so much from the Philippines, learning languages, and kind of your initial reaction being, sure, they have an English school, let's go there. What made you feel like that Suriname is home for you after being here a while? Initially, it, was, it took some time to get used to the place. Now, after moving from the Philippines to Suriname, of course, when you get off the airport, all you see is jungle, right? And I'm like, where has my father brought me? Like, I was used to seeing skyscrapers and tall buildings. And, you know, you know, as a kid, you look out for the McDonald's and the KFCs and stuff like that, because that's what you see everywhere. I come here and I'm like, okay, what place is this and where have you brought me? So it took some time to get used to the fact that everything was so natural around me. And then, you know, and school was different and the culture was different, but I love the fact that there were so many different cultures and had so many friends from different parts of the world that I no longer felt like the foreigner because everywhere I went in the world, I was always the foreigner. I was always the one looking like the odd one, especially in the Philippines. I always had the longest nose in the class and people used to make fun of me in class. And when I was in India, I was still the foreigner because I couldn't speak Hindi and I didn't understand the language at the time because I had just come from the Philippines. So I always felt like left out. But then when I came here, everyone was different. No one looked the same. I was not the odd one out. So I felt at home immediately. I was like, this is it. This is home for me because I'm not the only different one here. So, and then, you know, school life and everything else just happened. And then you kind of get used to, you know, then it's home. Yeah, I think that's one of the powerful, I guess, traits or gems that people take for granted here, that diversity and that multicultural group of people. And I think in the Caribbean, in this region, we are one of the most diverse, mm -hmm. even how small we are. So you, you have this density, the highest dense diversity, I guess. Absolutely. Uh, in the region. The, the nice thing was even, you know, having born in India and having my, you know, the, the Indian culture in my home, I was able to understand more of my culture living here you know, from the dancing and the movies and, you know, all of that. I, I, it, it's as if I had India right here. So it was like having the best of all the world in one place and not having to miss India at all. So for me, that was a plus. Still growing up in a country and st still being part of my culture, being here. So, and so, you know, I always loved it. Is there any one thing that comes to mind that kind of enhance or clarified your understanding of Indian culture I, after I would, coming here? So when I was in India, I learned Hindi while I was there. So I understood the language. I started to get to know more about religion and culture and stuff like that. I was just about eight or nine years old. 
But when I came here and I made friends and I had, you know, there, there was a, you know, an Indian community and stuff. And I heard that they were going to, there were dance lessons. There was an Indian cultural center. So I was really excited. I said, this is what I've always wanted to do. So to ensure that I felt part of my own culture, I started going to classical dancing. I did performances. I even, you know, learned Indian singing and everything. So I felt as if, you know, I, I really belonged. And I, it, that's one thing I loved about my childhood, all the Indian dancing I ever did all the years. It was a lot of fun, and you know, especially with all the friends that I had. Those are like the best memories I've had growing up. It's actually, Diego, it's very funny because I think last year I walked into Sheetal dancing as well. You walked into me remember, dancing? Yeah, at, at the Tfat, at the first floor at the Tfat. I think yeah, it was, you're right. right. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. There was an event yeah. going on. And then I saw yeah. you walking down the stairs. Absolutely. Yeah. I've always yeah. loved dancing. So I'm glad that having lived in Suriname, I've been able to do all of that and so much more. So was it was it hard when you the last time you moved back to Suriname? Because you studied in the US and yeah, it's at a certain point you make a decision like where do you continue, especially your business, your professional yeah, life, yeah. you make the decision as well. So, of course, your husband had some influence, maybe a lot of influence, but how was the decision made to say like, okay, moving to so, Suriname uh, after our studies? So, we, so, indeed, when I moved to the States, I had no intentions of coming back. I wanted to move out. I wanted to start a career elsewhere. I said, you know what? I've lived in Suriname for a long time. And I, I did not leave immediately after high school. Again, really trying to convince my dad, you know, because his intentions was to get me married. Being the typical Indian father, being brought up by Indian parents. As soon as I hit 18, they were like, okay, well, let's find a guy and get her married. But that was never my intention. I always wanted to study. I wanted to go abroad. While I was still in Suriname working for my dad, I was doing my college online. So if you've ever heard of the University of Phoenix, that was one of the first schools that went online. And I said, I don't care if I have to do this online for the rest of my life. I'm finishing my education while my parents are going to look and, and talk about me getting married and stuff like that. So two years into that, I applied to FIU without his knowledge and with a lot of fear, you know, and I got in within like three months, they told me, hey, you're in. And I really just did that for fun. I said, let me see if I get in. And I did. And with a lot of fear, I told him, I said, listen, you know, I've done two years online. I did really well. You know, I'm in. And I even applied for housing and everything. I paid for everything. I had no idea <laughs> I was going. I was like, you know, he'll say yes or he'll say no, but it's worth trying. He didn't say anything for three months. And then randomly one day, he's like, so when are you packing your bags? And I was like, I can go. He's like, yeah, you can go. I didn't ask him a second time. I'm like, pack the bags, let's leave. And I was off to Miami and I did my bachelor's. From all the five years that I was there, I worked at the university. So I, I had different jobs and I moved up very quickly. And I have to honestly say, everything that I ever did there, all those jobs, because I got into training coaching by accident. This was not planned. What I'm doing today 
was not planned. If someone told me 15 years ago, she told you're going to be a trainer, you're going to coach people, you're going to do online trainings and stuff, I would have laughed. I said, there's no way I'm going to do that. I don't like standing in front of people. I don't like talking to people. I'm an introvert. I like my quiet time. I'll sit behind a cubicle on a computer and do my thing. But little did I know that the universe kept throwing things in my path and throwing all these teaching opportunities by accident. And I was like, okay, sure. And it was me helping out other people, you know, like filling in for others in, in, in the office I was working at the career services office. Cause we coach students, we coached, sorry, coached university staff. We did workshops and stuff like that. And I would fill in every now and then sometimes there was orientation and the Sishito, Hey, we need someone to go talk to the students. Do you think you can go? And I would say, all right, fine, I'll go. And just like that, I'm coaching people. And I was like, wait, how did this happen? So all those years that I was there, I was studying business administration. I studied human resource management. I totally was either thinking to work corporate or eventually start my own thing, but it never had to do with training and coaching. And I remember that after going through the process of coaching in my first job, I had just graduated with my master's and I was promoted to the finance position of the same department. The finance person wanted to retire and she asked for an early retirement and they needed someone to fill in really quickly. Now I did my bachelor's in finance. So they asked me, do you think you can fill in temporarily till we find someone else since you have a finance background? Because everyone at career services either had a psychology or social studies or English, you know, that kind of, I was the only one with a business background who was in that office. So I said, yeah, sure, I'll fill in. So I went through all the programs and the workshops. I learned the job. And then eventually they offered me the job. They said, hey, we actually love what you're doing. Do you think you can take it out? I said, sure, you know, it's my background. Let me do this. And when I was in that position, I realized how much I missed teaching and coaching and being around students and sharing information and knowledge. And I was miserable. I loved, I mean, I, I was good at what I did, but I didn't feel fulfilled anymore, like crunching numbers and doing budgets and stuff like that. I used to come home feeling exhausted and tired. I had already been trained in the Myers-Briggs and I know you want to talk about personalities in the bit, so we'll <laughs> go into that. So I was really missing that. And then eventually my director was like, hey, we want to do a team building, but we can't hire someone on the outside. Do you want to take this on? Do you want to do our team building? And I was like, why is she asking me this? She's like, I don't know. I somehow have faith that you can do this for us. <laughs> And I was like, why me? <laughs> you know, I was so scared. I was like, no, they're not going to like this. They're going to absolutely hate this. She's like, no, I want you to do it. I have confidence. Make it happen. I was like, okay, I'll make it happen. And I was a nervous wreck trying to like put this together. And everything was MBTI related. They really wanted me. They wanted a refresher on Myers-Briggs and do a team building because I had just become a practitioner. So I prepared I did the team building and I literally got a standing ovation. All my colleagues came to me afterwards. Oh, we loved it. We had so much fun. This was amazing. You should do this for a living. And that's when it hit. I was like, I guess this is my calling. So I need to start thinking about this. Now to go back to your question, I had to tell you the story to give you a little bit of a background, how this happened. While I was in Miami, I started dating Christian. 
Now, Christian, I knew him since we were kids, but we had not been in touch for many, many years. He was my brother's childhood friend. So when I was living in Suriname back in the early 90s, he used to come over to the house and hang out with my brother. They used to play video games and basketball and stuff like that. And no, I did not notice him at all. In fact, I think he was noticing me. So I found out many, many, many years later that he used to have a crush on me back then, but I never paid attention. You so won. Like, yes, you won. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, okay, when did this happen? But long story short, we lost touch. I mean, he, he went abroad and stuff like that. And he lost touch with my brother as well. And when I was in Miami, he got in touch with my brother. And through my brother, he got in touch with me on Facebook. So yay, Facebook, I guess. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. And um, <laughs> we started messaging each other. And I was like, oh, yeah, Christian. You know, I mean, I remember him because he's my brother's friend. And I think as soon as he found out I was still single, the man did not wait. He did not waste time. He's like, if I don't do it now, it's never going to happen. So, yeah. So we started having a long distance relationship. Eventually, the marriage talk came up and we were ready to sell. I was just about finishing my master's. And then the question came, where are we going to move? He was living in Brussels at the time. I was okay. living in Miami. He was not in Suriname. He had been abroad for 10 years as well. He was in Holland and then in Brussels. And Wait, so just to clarify, mm -hmm. you guys didn't meet up at all in Miami yet during this no, no, we did, we did, we oh. did. He, 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 he did come visit me and I, you know, we, we met up with each other before the marriage talks happened. But when eventually things got really serious, of course, the question was, what happens after marriage? Who's going to move where, right? Because I had, I was settled in Miami. I had my job. He was settled in Brussels. He had his job. And it did not take long for us to say simultaneously that we were going to move back to Suriname. It just happened very, very like naturally. And we knew that it would be perfect for us together. It would be the best place for us to raise our family. His parents are here. My parents are here. When we had children, it would be perfect for us and for them. So we're like, okay, we don't know what we're going to do in Suriname, but let's move to Suriname. And that's how it happened. We came back to Suriname to get engaged officially with the family and everything. He moved back six months later. I moved, yeah, I moved back six months later. We got married. While we were engaged, we had already registered Libra. So it was official. It was a, on, in KKF. Everything was done immediately after the engagement. I moved back to Miami to pack up my stuff, to you know wrap things up at work. I came back in May. We got married in July and I started working with him in August. So that's everything in a nutshell. Wow. Yep. Wow. That story sounds so too good to be true that everything just lined up. So I got to ask what <laughs> I guess the intuition in you, how do you process that part of like, you know, this clicks and what goes through your mind? What, what, what do you feel to realize that, I guess? I'm still processing whole... it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well there is a story. It's a story. Did you, did you or did you not make him 
do an MBTI test. You know I would do that, right? <laughs> when 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 we started talking, and mm-hmm. you know, I mean, of course, he he shared he was interested in me, and you know, we wanted to see where it, it would go. The first thing I asked him, "Do you think you'd be open to do a Myers Briggs test?" And he's like, "What's that?" I said, "Don't worry, it's nothing. Just take the test. I'll tell you about it later." <laughs> so I sent him the assessment, and he took the assessment. And then I started explaining to him what it meant. Luckily, he's also an introvert. I'm an introvert, so I was like, "Okay, perfect. You know, we're not going to drive each other crazy or drag each other out of the house. We are just happy being at home, you know, and just you know." not having to deal with trying to get each other out of the house. So, but there there are other things that are opposite in our personalities. And that's what I was curious about. And let me tell you, thank God for Myers-Briggs because it has saved us from so many arguments that we've never had. Just because I knew where he was coming from, and he understood where i was coming from that when we would have conversations i'd be like okay he's talking about the future and he knows i'm talking because i'm a past and present person he's a present future person and oftentimes this is where we have our clashes where he's in the future i'm in the present and i'm very like realistic and practical and i always find solutions for now He's looking like 10 years, 5 years. He's all he believes in the aliens and the spaceships and all that stuff. He's like all into that. And he got me in that world and I brought him into my reality. So we both kind of meshed in each other's world when we got to know each other. And let me tell you, it helped us as a couple. It has helped us as business partners. It has helped us tremendously as parents. and if it weren't for that i think we would have driven each other crazy at some point oh I mean, we love each other but i get him he gets me and we know exactly what's happening when when something goes off so myers briggs has been a lifesaver i always tell people you want to know about your partner don't find out their horoscope that's not going to tell you anything find out their myers briggs come and sit with me let's talk together i will tell you what's going well and what you guys need to work on and you're going to save yourself a lot of arguments so you i really want to jump into that as well yeah um do you, go, uh, do you want to go through the comments from the beginning or do you want to straight going to go to the the question of gregory yeah let, let's just uh, do some quick shout outs cuz we have someone joining us here christian <laughs> and he says 143 questions that's quite a lot <laughs> <laughs> yeah he had to I answer all the myers briggs questions <laughs> the myers briggs questions are 143 questions that you have to go through so he's like and he always says that he said you made me answer 143 questions before you answered the one question uh, will you marry me so yeah, yeah. it's a very specific number as well and uh, We got Joseph enjoying the story so far. Keep rolling. Marvin says amazing story. And then this comes to the question of Gregory and I guess to the Myers Briggs test. How <laughs> accurate or how much should people read into it? And from your personal experience it seems it has worked great for you. But yeah, as Gregory says, our personality test somehow cheating the game. 
because it's kind of looking at someone's report card instead it's, of it's, uh, being a flexible human. It, it's not like that. The Myers-Briggs is a tool like anything else, right? You can use the tool for good. You can use the tool however you want. But the Myers-Briggs, the whole purpose of the Myers-Briggs is to understand differences in people. If I'm an introvert, it helps me understand extroverts. If I'm an intuitive, it helps me understand sensors. It just means that I get to understand what's different about you and see things from your perspective. That's really the purpose of the Myers-Briggs. And because it's a tool, if we use it, we'll see value in it. If we don't use it, you don't see the value in it. And the more you use it, the more you'll get these aha moments. Ah, I get where you're coming from. I get why you're saying that. And you know what happens with the Myers-Briggs when people get to know each other's personalities, a lot of times they'll realize, okay, so I get now that you haven't been trying to irritate me or frustrate me or stress me out. This is you being in your natural self. And this is just how you are. And you haven't been doing this because you're trying to piss me off to just put it in simple terms. And that's what I try to help people with. No one's trying to irritate you or stress you through their personality. Some people, you know, that, that's how they view things. But if you've been looking at life like this, you start looking at life like this, you know? And, and then you start see things from other people's perspective. You don't have to agree with everyone. You can just accept that this is how they are and this is how they function. And it helps. It helps in every relationship. Imagine if you have a boss who's similar to you, you'll get along. But if you're opposites and you can't tell what he or she wants, it's going to drive you insane. But when you do the Myers-Briggs and you understand each other, you'll understand each other's perspective and you meet each other halfway. So no, it's not cheating the system. I look at it as it's a shortcut way of getting to know someone without having to go through a lot of pain and a lot of misery and so many years of you know mistakes that you could have found out very easily in the beginning just by taking a simple assessment to get to know them better. That's all. So it kind of cuts <laughs> the fat between communication and having that awareness of each other. Yeah, you, it's you, all you, about communication. You, you mentioned yeah. something really interesting there the opposite for example you have a boss who's the opposite of you and you know having that clash and just for fun before today we, yesterday we, me and Sean looked at the a simplified test I yeah. guess just to see where we're at and when I shared my results you immediately said oh you're like 70% opposite of Sean Luke and I didn't yep. even know Sean Luke's result yet so I guess what did that tell you coming into this conversation today, us being this opposite? I, it told me that Diego probably planned everything ahead of time and said, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. That's going to happen. This is what we're going to do. We're going to get here. I'm already going to, and, and guess what? The link went up before Shanluk even thought about it. He's like, oh, okay, thank you. I'm glad you already did it. I was thinking about it, but you did it. And that's typically going to happen in your relationship that you're the planner he's the go with the flow guy and you know we'll see what happens when it happens and he's the extrovert in your i'm sorry can i put this on you know i can i put this yeah. out there yeah, <laughs> yeah sure we don't have a problem with this yeah. you know i mean he's the introvert you're the extrovert and then he'll be like thinking things very deeply before he 
says things and Shanlok will just spit whatever comes through his mind. He's like, what do you think? I just thought about this. What do you think? And, and then Diego will be like, wait, which one? This one or that one? Or the next thing that you're going to say? That's what's going to happen in your conversations because of the opposite type. And it's very interesting. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, because I know that's the kind of conversations you guys are having without knowing either one of you, just because I know your type. And it never fails. I kid you not. It never fails. I've done workshops for so many years. And one of the exercises I do a lot is with the judges and the perceivers. So judges are the typical planners to the point. They make things happen. They're always scheduling stuff. The perceivers are like, oh, we'll see what happens. They'll make the list, but they won't look at it again. And they'll rush last minute to get stuff done. They both get stuff done. And I always have this one exercise I have these two people do. I kid you not, every single time I have the judges and perceivers do it, the answers are like almost identical. And we always have such a laugh in our workshops when this happens because they're like, wait, how did you, how do you know this? I said, the personality does not lie. It just does not lie. There are just certain natural traits we have that, you know, comes to us naturally. And, and let me just share this with everyone, right? There's no personality assessment in the world that will ever measure your entire personality. It just does not exist. But the Myers-Briggs just takes four dimensions. It measures that because that's just the easiest things to measure and it's more obvious. And it's things that we just typically do naturally. We're just not aware of it unless someone points it out. And then you're like, oh yeah, I do that. Oh yeah, that, that, you're right, this does, does happen. I, I tend to do that. And it's really just bringing that up in the surface so people are more aware. They have more self-awareness and then they make better decisions knowing that about themselves. That, that's all that it comes down to. And it's amazing awesome. what groups can do when they know this about each other. So she's excited as well. We have another MBTI for the win. We have people yeah, joining yeah, in from LinkedIn yeah. as well. You're getting a shout out as well, Shito, from uh, Shafi. I love her. And then a question from Man. Uh, so should you change your behavior to suit the other person? they understand that you are just who you are? So the Myers-Briggs works two ways. Like communication is a two-way road, right? Yes, you should understand the other person and understand where they're coming from. And I'm not saying that you have to change yourself for the other person, that in any communication and in any relationship, we have to learn to become flexible and adjust when needed, depending on the conversation. So typically in our personality, if we're introverts, being an introvert is not always going to serve us for the rest of our life. And I know that for a fact because post-COVID has taught me so many things I needed to pay attention to. If I remain an introvert, it was, it was going to hurt my business big time, which means I needed to be learning extroverted qualities. I need to learn from other extroverts. I needed to shadow extroverts. I needed to understand, well, how is it that they get their energy so up and how are they able to be so expressive and stuff like that? It, there were things I needed to learn. And you kind of enjoy the best of both worlds. So as an introvert, when you start talking to an extrovert, you can become a bit more extroverted to communicate better with them. And if they know you're an introvert, they adjust to you. When both people adjust to each other, 
the conversation becomes more interesting. So when groups and teams, leaders and their subordinates and so on, know this about each other, they will find ways to meet each other halfway. So if you know you have an introvert colleague who, are, who is less likely to you know, open up in a meeting, you send them an email and say, hey, send me an email and let me know your thoughts. And you will know exactly what's on their mind because they had an opportunity to send it via email versus, you know, and then if you know you're an introvert and you have extroverted colleagues, but you're constantly sending them emails and they're, they're not responding, it's because they don't like emails. So you'll find a way, you will have to meet them halfway and say, listen, come to my office, let's have a chat. And then they'll spill the beans and they'll get stuff out of their head because you know they're an extrovert and that's how you get stuff out of them. And when we know this about each other, we will meet them halfway. So sometimes, yes, you have to make that adjustment. Sometimes you have to switch things up, but it doesn't mean that it's gonna take you out of your natural element. You're always gonna be a natural introvert or a sensor or intuitive because that's how you function in the world. But we can't function on one perspective. We need to look at all perspectives and we need to find our ways to adjust with others. So that way we all communicate better with each other. I hope that answers the question. Yes, it uh, definitely does. And usually when we talk about this though, it really comes to the most common, I guess, differentiator, differentiator is introvert, extrovert. And you mentioned before we cover that Myers-Briggs covers like four dimensions and mm -hmm. obviously it's not your whole personality. Yeah. So introvert, extrovert aside, could you talk a bit more about to us about, I guess the, I'm gonna just grab one of the others, judging and Judging and perceiving, yeah. Perceiving, yeah. 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 Perceiving. So that is that is the last dimension mentioned. So you have the introversion, extroversion, that's all the way on top. In the middle, you have mental functions. And at the end, we have the judging, perceiving. And that's basically how we orient ourselves in the world. And I usually use this in my productivity training. So I teach productivity programs. And I often tell people this. How we manage our time has to do with our personality as well. And a lot of times people don't believe me. They're like, what do you mean? I mean, I, knew, I know I need to work a schedule and I need to work a plan and this needs to happen. But here's the thing, some people struggle with it and they struggle with it because it doesn't come to them naturally. And some people are natural planners, which means that for them, for them to feel sane, they need to wake up knowing, what am I doing at eight o'clock and nine o'clock and 10 o'clock? What am I doing tomorrow? What am I doing next week? They have everything planned and organized. They will make sure they have a list and a checklist. And the funny thing is, say they're doing a bunch of things on their to-do list. If they did something outside of their to-do list, they're gonna make sure to put it back, to write it on the to-do list, just to check it off. And for my judges out there, I know you're out there. I know you recognize this about yourself, that if you don't make a plan, it's gonna drive you insane. This just comes to you naturally. And I'm sure planners were made by judges for sure. On the other hand, we have the perceivers. They like to go with the flow. They like, you know, we'll see what happens and then we'll just, you know, they, they make decisions moment by moment. And even if they make a plan, 
they're not always going to go with it unless they know they have to. And they would, you usually finish things at the deadline, not before the deadline. So they're like spontaneous, adventurous, and anything can happen just about any time. They don't like a routine. They don't want to do the same things at the same time, but they do that because they know certain things have to be done. So that's kind of forced on their personality and also the way you know the world is. And if you compare Holland and Suriname, right? I'm sure you can tell which country is very judging and which country is very perceiving. Just think about, <laughs> I don't have to answer that yeah. question, yeah. right? And, and sometimes our, our culture, our, where we're brought up, can dictate our personality. It can shape how we are, the way we're brought up. And if we don't allow that to dictate us, we just go by with our natural personality. So, you know, it, it's, it's always very interesting to learn this about ourselves. So I have a lot of fun sharing this stuff in our training programs, especially my productivity programs. And then when people are like, now I get why I hate making plans because I'm just not a planner. And then they know they have to make the extra effort. They have to put in the time and that it doesn't bother them anymore, that it doesn't come to them naturally. In fact, it's kind of like a relief. Like I can finally be in my own skin and feel okay with it and not feel pressured that I'm not a planner. And that's really the goal feel comfortable in your skin that it's okay to be an introvert that you're not weird because you can't have a conversation in public it's perfectly normal people you just have to practice extroversion that's all it gets easier trust me i just had a revelation or an observation so i i've been doing this at least the test i shared with you guys uh, beforehand every two years so First time I did it was 2017, I guess. And then I redid it in 2019. And I noticed that I went from prospect perceiving to judging, that that skill shifted for me. And I just realized that that was the time I started reading more books. And Shanuk's gonna laugh because he knows where I'm going with this on habit creation, habit building, and that's where I guess four hour work week and the atomic habits came in. And when I redid the test in 2019 and again in 2021, before I send it, the judging scale, it shifted more towards judging. So over time, that kind of changed for me if I look back at myself. So I just realized that now and I, I thought I'd share it just having realized it during this so, short so what you did was you trained your judging side. I mean, we have both sides in our personality. It's just that one side comes more naturally and the other side needs to be trained. So then what happens when we train the other side? We use, we use whichever side we want when, you know, when, when, when the circumstances are needed. Like, for example, I like my Mondays to Fridays plan. I'm a judger. I'm a downright judger. Very, very strong judger. Things have to be planned. But when the weekend comes, I, you know, tone it down. I don't plan stuff. You know, we, we do things randomly. We don't plan what we're going to do or where we're going to be. And that kind of balances things. If I had to be a perceiver all week, I would go crazy, like absolutely crazy because it's just not my natural state. So, you know, you, you find a way to balance it and then you, you, you 
appreciate the other side. And that's how you start appreciating other people of opposite sides as well. And there can only be good things from this. Yeah, it's funny. It's, it's really funny. So for me personally, I've always been uh, e, uh, EF, no, EN, ENFP. ENFP. I've always been that. I've always been that. But the funny thing is that when I first did the test, I was really like building my skills for sensing and really building mm. my skills. So I was, I was moving more towards centered. Like I was like with the test, it was kind of difficult. I had to redo the test a couple of times. You probably, you are Christian probably told me like, do what you feel and not what you think is the correct answer. Yeah. Because I was really at that time moving towards the skills. And then a couple of years later, I think in 2016, 2017, I started saying like, listen, I'm going to be myself and focus on my strengths. So when I redid the test this year, or actually this week, it was much clearer, like it was defined. It wasn't centered anymore because I'm also at peace with, with the person that yeah. I am. So I know, I know judging is important. I make a very big deal out of it, making sure that my perceiving side doesn't affect our company yeah. because that's also one thing. So I'm aware of it, but I'm also accepting that and I'm perceiving. But I think that the, the thing that I struggle with most is, is feeling versus thinking, and ah, okay. especially, in, especially in arguments. Because recently this week, I caught myself in an argument going totally towards the feeling side, towards what people feel, what people think instead of the rationale. And I was arguing with a thinker and it completely made me go bonkers. It completely, completely yeah. made me go bonkers. And after I shared the, my test scores with, with the group today and they all revealed their MBTI, I realized like, this is why it was driving me so insane because I wasn't getting movement from the other side because I was trying to get to get a response, a feeling response, which just wasn't ever going yeah, to happen. Yeah, yeah. And that really, it really messed with me a lot. But jumping to the next question, because we do want to know, Shido, how do you prevent yourself from abusing your powers? I would, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't look that, at that as abusing because every time I have, you abuse it when you use it to hire and fire people. And this is how personality assessments have been abused over time. And I always tell people, never ever use it to hire someone or fire someone or use it to make a decision about someone. That's never been the intention about personality assessments. This is why it's also dangerous to take online free assessments because they're not always accurate. So I know a lot of people take it from these free sites. They're not always accurate and people don't always understand the meaning behind it. And what happens is that people start abusing what they receive online and then they don't have a practitioner explaining what it, what it really means, how to use it, the beauty behind personalities and how we can really bring out the best in people. This is why you always need a practitioner to guide you. This is why people are being trained, you know, to do this, to share this, because 
this can be abused. People can use this to their benefit and say, well, if you're an introvert and I have a marketing company, you're not going to be good for me because you're an introvert. And that's absolutely wrong. Let me tell you this. As an introvert, I have done so much more marketing in the last two years. I was like, whoa, I never thought I was capable of this. And we bring out the best in ourselves by not pigeonholing. So it's not to pigeonhole you to a personality. That's never been the intention of Myers-Briggs. It's just to make you more aware of what you may already know to help you confirm that this is you, to help you be comfortable in your own skin and tell you it's okay to be like this. There's absolutely nothing wrong with this. And it's okay if you're a feeler. It's okay if you're a perceiver. It's okay if you're a thinker. But variety is the spice of life. Let's look what is on the other side. Let's explore extroversion. Let's explore being a thinker. Let's explore being a perceiver and what it's like to be that kind of person. Because here's the good news. We have both in our personalities. It's just that one side comes more naturally to us and the other side, we have to put a little effort and we have to work. But when we're aware that we have to put the effort, we're going to put the effort, we work towards it, and then both start, both sides starts to come naturally. If Diego, for example, was a natural perceiver and he didn't read those books and he didn't start thinking about atomic habits and the four hour work week, which by the way are all excellent books. I love those books and I've learned a lot from them as well. You don't start changing your habits or changing what you know you need to work on, which is your non-preferences, because guess what? We can't live a one-sided personality in this world. We need both. We have all of this around us. We have introverts and extroverts. We have intuitives and sensors. We need to think both dimensions. In fact, 3D, 4D even sometimes. And if we're only thinking one-sided, we're missing out on the other side of the world. And that's really the point of MBTI. Know who you are. And this is why, I don't know, Sean, look, if you remembered in the training, I always told everyone, answer the questions based on how you are comfortable, not how you're supposed to be, now, not how your boss wants you to be, not how you're expected to be, but who you are comfortably. Because when you know who you are as yourself, then you know what you need to work on. Then you know what to, you know, you know what your challenges are. And then you say, okay, this is me, but I still need to work on this. And if I never knew this about myself, like if I didn't know I was a natural introvert or even what an introvert was, for me, that was a huge revelation that I was an introvert. I used to grow up thinking I'm boring. I'm a loner. No one's going to talk to me because I'm not interesting. I have nothing to talk about. I have nothing interesting to say. I can't have conversations. I used to have this stuff going on in my head. Can you imagine going through your entire childhood and teenage years thinking about this? I mean, the mental health issues that could come with this kind of thinking, not knowing that it's perfectly normal to be an introvert. I wish someone had told me growing up as a teenager that it's okay the way you are. You don't have to worry about going to the other side. Just take your time, grow from it. And when you're comfortable, you learn being more extroverted. I had to push myself. I was an intro extrovert wannabe. I said, no, I want to be an extrovert, but I'm not going to be an extrovert. I'm always going to be a natural introvert. I can have extroverted tendencies when I practice it. I mean, I am in an extroverted job. I'm doing trainings all the time.
I'm in front of a crowd all the time, but I got comfortable doing that because I knew I was an introvert. So there are only good things that can come from this. People who want to abuse the system will not get the full benefit of an assessment if they're looking to, you know, like if they have sneaky ideas or whatever the reason they're using it for. But that's never meant, that's never been the intention for the Myers-Briggs. And definitely not for hiring and firing. Should never use it for that. Yeah, I think that comes greatly full, full circle with uh, what you've been saying. It's a tool that helps you enhance your understanding of yourself and others. Absolutely. And this is with a lot of topics, I think. When we had Rowan on a few weeks ago on marketing, she really explains the broad area of marketing. And I think this falls into that similar category where most people see it as marketing is just advertising. And mm -mm. here, you know, MBTI personality test is about introvert, extrovert. So pigeonhole yourself in that direction without understanding the full spectrum, how exactly. you can use that to enhance. Cause that's the point in the end to better ourselves, to, you know, improve on one another and add value to whether it be a service or just a, a regular relationship. Absolutely. So I, I'm glad you really explained that well, that it's like four dimensional or multi-dimensional. No, absolutely. The more you, the more you learn about it, the more you're like, whoa, I didn't know this could be possible or that could be possible. And you grow so much, you know, it's really how it, you have to shift your focus and growth. You shift your focus towards growth. You're only going to say, see growth. If people are going to look at it to try to abuse something or look at it to abuse the system, that's what they're going to try to do. And unfortunately people have been using the Myers-Briggs for this. And, you know, it's been getting a bad rap because people are abusing the tool. I mean, a tool is just a tool. You could use it for good reasons. You could use it for bad reasons. You have to choose and always use a practitioner to help you and guide you. If you're gonna go out there and just read a report, it's not gonna tell you anything. You need a, some kind of guidance to help you yeah. what that means. Speaking of practitioners, and I guess I, I wanna shift it more to Libra now because you just, you're not just a Myers-Briggs practitioner, but you're also a coach. Six, uh, is it Six Sigma? Lean um, Six Sigma. Lean Six Sigma. So management, another tool. And yeah. it, you got all these, I guess, tools in your arsenal to help people and organizations. So could you talk a bit about how you, you know, integrate and combine all these tools and just not just stick to one tool and then we'll, I guess, shift towards how you transition that into an online, going from offline to offline. Sure. So looking back, when I first came back to Suriname, of course, I was all about Myers-Briggs then, right? Because I had just become a practitioner. I said, wow, what an amazing tool. Everybody needs to know about this. And I was trying my level best to just, you know, share this tool with everyone. But at the time, Suriname was not ready for this. You know, everyone's like, what is this? Oh, it's just another test. It's not a test, it's a tool. You know, you can't fa fail or pass this because it's not a test. 
so I was struggling to share this information with a lot of people. I was still getting to know the market, you know, having lived in the U.S. for so many years, which is so fast paced and so, you know, longer hours and all that. And then coming back here, you know, things were a little more relaxed. And I had people saying things like, oh, I'm around the corner of your house, but they weren't at your house to, until two hours later. <laughs> so, you know, getting used to that stuff in Serna, I was like, okay, you know, it was culture shock. Coming back home, now being married and, you know, starting a family, starting a business, running a home all in the same year. When I think back 10 years ago, I said, Christian, what were we thinking? We got married. We started a business. We, you know, we, we bought our home all in the same year. We must have been crazy to have done that all at the same time. And he was already into like the consulting part of the business because he has an IT background. So he does a lot of like programming, he creates applications and all. He still does that till today. And very quickly he realized, you know what? We need a training aspect in the business. So I lead the trainings and he leads the consulting. So I just dropped everything that I planned on doing with Myers-Briggs and stuff. I said, okay, what do, you know, what does Suriname need? What is the need right now? You know, I had to get practical. So I started talking to people and I had coached a lot of students at the time as well. There were a lot of students who want career coaching. And I used to do that at FIU. So I, I helped a lot of students with, you know, those who were moving abroad and they needed help moving abroad and stuff like that. In the meantime, exploring the market, our very first workshop, I kid you not, was a stress management workshop. Some... The, the yoga center, uh, sorry, the Indian cultural center, the, the yoga teacher at the time says, we're having a yoga day. Do you think you guys can do a training on stress management? I said, yes, because I was like, we just need to start with something. So I said, yeah, we'll do it. And just then we created a nice program and said, let's teach people stress management. And it was a hit at the Indian Cultural Center. And then we made that like a public workshop and we started advertising that. And we had a lot of people now getting to know us through stress management. I was like, okay, I don't wanna be the company who teaches only stress management. And not too, much af not too long after that, a company came to us and said, hey, do you guys do team buildings? I said, yes, we do team buildings. So we started creating team building sessions. So it's not like I didn't have experience. I had experience in the past. And very quickly, the word went out and more and more companies started coming to us for team buildings. We found ourselves practically every weekend, Saturdays, Sundays, even national holidays, doing team building sessions. I think we have served thousands of people over the last 10 years just with team building. I'm not even counting the other stuff. And in between all of that, we got a request to do customer service trainings. So we started creating those. And, very, and slowly, the services of our company started shaping because, because everything that we did was shaped based on what organizations were asking of us. And really, we only have five things that we serve. 10 years, five programs. We don't do the stress management. We've included that in all our programs. We kind of like bring that it in a snapshot. I think I have to reintroduce that now, especially post COVID and everything. But we did the team buildings over the years. We did the customer service trainings and we are still being asked till today to do customer service, which of course, which has evolved so much over the years.
I introduced productivity matters three years ago, especially after having children and realizing I have no time anymore and I have no life. I needed to do a lot with very little time. And thanks to my children, Productivity Matters was created because being a mom of two, running a business, you know, marriage, your home and everything, so much to do, so little time. That was created and we've been getting a lot of requests for that now. I've, in the meantime, I became an emotional intelligence practitioner because I was introduced to emotional intelligence through the Myers-Briggs and while I was in college and stuff. And I realized how much it has helped me over the years in, you know, my marriage, in my business, in, in, with my colleagues, like in every, every relationship, especially as a mom, you know, I wasn't all over the place with my emotions. I was able to manage myself and still take care of myself and stuff. So I introduced that. So all of these things started to develop over the years. And we really only teach what we use. I would never teach you something that we don't use ourselves. We don't do ourselves. We explore it. We go through the programs ourselves with our employees as well. We test it with a couple of people. We want to make sure it works. It's stuff that's really, you know, doing well. People are getting some the outcomes that they are looking for. And then we get it out there and we let people know, hey, we've done this. So we're not the company that just rolls out a new program every year. We've had five programs that we've developed in the last 10 years. And that's what we've been doing over and over again. We have leadership stuff every now and then. If I get a request from Myers-Briggs, I do that for companies. But these five have been our main. And then, of course, post-COVID, everything changed. Yeah, so, so let's ju let's jump into that because I think somebody said it here in the comments. Joseph said it. Shido doesn't sound like an introvert. Well, you, you can go into how how to prepare for, for these kind of sessions in a moment. But I think one of the things I really noticed is that, I mean, most of us were struck by, by COVID. I mean, yeah. the dynamics completely shifted. You weren't allowed to be in classrooms or even in, you weren't allowed to do in-house sessions anymore. And then you decided to make make a switch and just say like, okay, we have all this advantage. And it's funny advantages because it's funny. Like for me, myself as well, before COVID hit, I tried to introduce Asana and Slack and all these project management tools. But everybody was like, yeah, but we're in the same office. I mean, why would you use a, a messaging tool when we're in the same room together? Yeah, yeah. So it didn't make any sense. And the same, I kind of went for like online marketing, like online courses. It nobody, everybody wanted to have the course in a room together, and that changed. So maybe you can guide us a little bit through like how you made the switch as well to say like, okay, I'm going to embrace online and work, make it work to my advantage. So I wanted to make the switch five years ago. This is pre-COVID even. And I've been, I've been told by my students at FHR, so besides Libra and everything, I was teaching at FHR for five years as a full-time lecturer. So besides running the business and teaching full-time. And a lot of my students were telling me, Mr. John, you really got to put your courses online because, you know, these were the, like, the young generation who were online yeah. all the time. And like, you got to make videos of you and you got to put yourself on Instagram. And I was not on social media at the time. And I was not active. And I remember always teaching a class and like, Mr. John, we can't find you online. Like you have no social footprint. You need to do something about this. And I'm like, yeah, maybe someday. And then 
I had been struggling to get on camera. And, and Christian tried a couple of times. He would put a camera in front of me. He's like, all right, do something, say something. And I would freeze. I was like, I can't do this. It's just not happening. But the moment I would get in a room full of people, you know, I would share knowledge. I would share information. I would get into stuff. And it was just easier. Not that it started easy because, you know, it, it took some time to get used to this. But eventually when I did get used to it, it got easy to teach. So COVID happened and I was like, perfect. Just when I got used to this, now we got to switch things around. Definitely our team building stopped because our team buildings are larger groups from like 20 to 200 to 300 people in a group. Our last team building was like 250 people. And like, we're still watching that video. I'm like, I wonder if we're ever gonna do this again. So I really had to like now break those walls and say, all right, if I need to keep doing what I'm doing, it has to go on video or else I'm never going to be able to share and serve and provide value as I have, in, I have over the years. And the thing is, I love what I do. I really love to teach. And it was really my calling. I just didn't know it was until much later. And I will not be able to give value if I can't do what I do. So I had to get on camera. And the first few tries were a disaster. I would get nervous, I would get sweaty. Poor Christian had to be so patient in behind the camera trying to film me and you know encourage me and motivate me. I'm like, I can't do it, I can't do it. Don't make me do this. Why did this have to happen? You know, and I was getting like all Eventually we made video after video after video and it got easier. So I made my first draft of Emotions Matter, which is our basic course on emotional intelligence. And I absolutely hated it. I said, we're not putting this online. And then I made the second one. I did the whole thing over again and it was much better. There was a better flow and I felt comfortable. I was okay looking at myself on camera because you know, we women are always checking our hair and everything like that. I was like, yeah, I had to get over all of those barriers. So we put the video out and we had over 500 people sign up for that within the first month. It was crazy. I was like, whoa, so I guess people are open for this. I did not expect that. And there were really great evaluations and a lot of people got value from just going through the basics. And that really motivated me to create the paid version of the program. So now I went from making five videos. So this was five videos in one course, which is under 60 minutes. You could do it under 60 minutes. For those of you who still want to do it, we still have it. It's still out there. I decided to do the premium version, which was almost 50 videos. So it's five hours, a five hour program. So if you combine all the videos, it's at least five hours. It took me six months to record all those videos, record, edit, and all that stuff. Of course, we learned how to edit, we learned how to film, you know, try and er trial and error, which kind of lighting, what kind of angle, where should you stand? All of this was new to us. We knew nothing about video and editing and stuff. So he and I, in lockdown with our children in our home, had to put in a lot of work to learn how to do that. Of course, we have a consulting side of our business. So someday when you, interview Christian, he can tell you all about that, his side of the story. I think you should do that, right? What's his side of the story? The consulting part of our business was going on because that's every, that's always online. But the training part, we really had to work on and I had to really work on myself. 
So I'm like this close, right, to finishing the last videos. And I go back and I see we, we made some mistakes. We made some errors. There were some things that went wrong and we could not put them up. I was freaking out. I'm like, I'm never going to make this happen. And then come September, I had to really like gather my strength again. And I said, I'm doing the whole damn thing over again. I don't care. I'm just going to do it over again. So within a span of four weeks, first it was six months, within a span of four weeks, I did the second round, which by the way, I released in December. That was my first group. I relaunched it again in January. In the first group, I had one person sign up. It was embarrassing. I was like, oh my goodness, no one's going to sign up for this. And it's fine. But by the second group, I had a lot of people who were interested, who were into it, who signed up. And I have a group graduating in April from this program. And I'm so excited. I'm so thrilled. There have been so many transformations from the emotional intelligence program. I call it reset, recharge, reinvent your life, because that's what it was for me. And it was really everything that I had been through emotionally, helping others break those barriers emotionally, reinvent themselves, find themselves again bring back all the things that they love, enjoy, that they wanted to grow from and brought that in that entire program. And I'm going to be starting my next group in May. So I'm going to be promoting that again for my May group. And I'll be doing that two or three times a year. So how this works is that people watch the pre-recorded videos per module. There are like four modules. And then I coach them on a weekly basis as well. So I meet them online and say, hey, how did the week go? What did you learn? What were the things that happened? And, you know, what were the things that you, you know, what were those revelations you had this week? And I answered questions and I came live and really coached and supported online, email, WhatsApp, even Facebook group, all the possible social media channels possible. And I was not a social media person. So introverts, you can do this. You can make this happen. If I can do this, anyone can do this. I think and, it's yeah. I think it's so important that you mentioned about the the first that. So yeah. so you have to imagine that you worked on it for six months. Yeah. Plus four weeks. <laughs> six months, four weeks, mm -hmm. and I'm really glad you shared that as well. Like yeah, because usually people think oh, it's so professionally done and they expect, because they, they don't see the back end, they don't see oh the God, no. results. So you sharing that you had like one sign up for the first batch, mm -hmm. it's really, I think, eye-opening to people and to us as well. And it shows that keeping up with it and, you know, just going for it, having that grit and persistence eventually people start adapting to the situation yeah. and seeing the value in it and once the ball starts rolling you you get an avalanche in the absolutely end. and you know guys i was this close to quitting because when that first set of videos that i tried so hard to record did not work out i was like no this is not going to happen but if there's something i've learned about emotional intelligence is overcoming my setbacks and thank god for emotional intelligence it's everything that I've ever learned really became alive in this experience for me. 
every single setback. And trust me, I had a ton of setbacks from the video editing and not knowing what to do. And then we had issues with this. Then there was a technology. Then my video was so perfect and the sound was horrible and I had to redo the whole oh. thing. So we had so many issues and I was like, oh my goodness, am I ever going to finish this? But I made it happen. We just tried again and again and again. And in trying again and again, you just get better and you get faster. It gets easier. And then you're like, hey, it's not as hard. And if you ask me now, if I'm going to do this again, hey, I'm already rolling in my next course to start that. And now I have so much more knowledge. I have now these cool effects that I can put in the next one that I'm so excited about. And you learn so many new things because of this. So yes, you will fail. Go ahead and fail. Go, you know, I even cried about it. I'm not ashamed to share all of this because I like to be real. This is what happens behind the scene. An entrepreneur's job is a 24 seven job. It's not a nine to five job. It's you're constantly busy. You're going, 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 and you keep going till you find the solution and you make it happen. And yes, it helps to have an amazing partner who's beside you, who will be with you, who supports you. This is why I have Christian. And sometimes I frustrate him and drive him crazy, but you know, I know he loves me, so he's always supporting me. And you just make it happen. And yes, after that first sign up, I was ready to quit then too. And I was like, well, maybe no one's interested in emotional intelligence because I got a lot of, well, what's that? What does this mean? What's it gonna do for me? So I was like, all right, breathe, here we go again. But then eventually I started doing free masterclasses. And that's when I got the idea. Let me give people some free information about this. Let me put in the free courses. Let me get myself out there and just talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. And that's when people started listening. That's when people started noticing. And then I had a bunch of signups and people signed up and I'm having all these amazing testimonials. People are like, wow, I didn't know, even know what these words meant, but I was so skeptical. We didn't want to do this, but we thought, why not? Let's try something new. And I, I am sure I have amazing students who are like, oh, we're telling everybody about this. And that's how it starts out. And I know that I don't have to struggle as much to get my students for the next group because I have these people who've gone through the process, who've loved it, whose lives have changed, that are going to tell the others, you want your life changing? I'm not advertising. I'm just telling you what they're telling <laughs> <laughs> you know? As an entrepreneur, you've got to reinvent yourself. You can't just stand still and say, well, what now? You just find ways to make it happen and make it happen. But, you know, we, we did a lot of courses on Zoom, by the way. Thank God for some organizations who were open to doing our productivity sessions, even customer service and things like that via Zoom. I said, listen, if you guys are open to it, we'll do it. And all year, I kid you not, all year 2020, we were doing all our training programs on Zoom. You know, some were still, oh, we'll wait. We'll see when things open up. And as soon as things opened up for like two weeks, you know, we did a training like really quickly. <laughs> And then things went on lockdown again. So it was like a lot of like change of schedules and stuff. You know, I mean, we're flexible. We can make it work. And that's what's happening now as well. Right. We have some uh, yeah. companies who are like, oh, we can get 10 people in a room. Do you think, you know, we could just do at least 10 people? I said, all right, we'll do it. And some are like, you know, we're OK to do it online. So, yeah. So now we're online. We have master classes rolling. Next week I have one on small business. So 
a whole new world has opened up. And if you're not online, just get out there, really. You know, it's scary at first, but you'll get used to it. Two things I quickly want to mention, and I think you partially answered this question already, but first, you called out Christian and Joseph says, <laughs> yes, we should do an interview with Christian. So Christian, if you're still watching, still listening, this is a public invitation to you, Christian. <laughs> and secondly, Joseph asked, what did you do to get more people for the second time? And I think you briefly mentioned this, you started to doing the free master classes. And... Yeah, so the, the master classes really helped. I didn't do that the first time because that idea didn't come to me. And that's the thing, right? You learn as you keep doing it. And I got the idea to do free webinars and master classes to introduce the topic. So what I did was I pulled one video from my program and I kind of expanded on that one topic. And a lot of people loved it. And it was called positive goal setting with emotional intelligence. How do you set your goals positively using emotional intelligence? So I introduced the concept of emotional intelligence so people understood what it was. And eventually we went into positive goal setting. I had like a free handbook, you know, a lot of free information that people could go. So even if you didn't sign up for the course, you still got a lot of value. And it's something that I've, I've learned from all the other experts that are out there because they this is what they yeah. do, yeah. right? So, so I said, okay, let me try this. And that's exactly how people got more interested. In fact, I'm getting a lot of requests for the free masterclasses. Like, hey, when are you doing that again? And so I decided to do more of that, pull out just one topic, share information, people are always gonna get some value. People always appreciate the free value and they will always remember you for it. And then eventually you will have people signing up and say, hey, and the best part is they, they can see what your style is, they can connect with you, then they can decide for themselves if they want to listen to you for 50, you know, for like five hours. <laughs> Do I want to spend money on this person for myself. Well, they're spending money on themselves, but do I want to listen to this person? Mm -hmm. So it's my way of giving them a chance to get to know me as well as a trainer. I mean, you don't have to love me. Not everyone loves me. Not everyone hates me, but it's your way to connect with me. And once you've connected with me and you feel like, hey, I could learn from her, that's when you're going to pay for it. You're not going to just, you know, some people may blindly pay for some things, but I, I believe in a connection. And if we have a connection, you're, I don't have to convince you to purchase my courses. And that's the purpose behind these masterclasses. And I always like to give value. I got so encouraged to go on video. I'm doing these Tuesday tips now. So every Tuesday I have a video on our Libra page, even on my uh, page and my LinkedIn and stuff, where I share a tip on productivity, on emotional intelligence, on customer service, on team building, because those are the services we have. So I'm linking them to our services. And every Tuesday, there is a video released where I'm sharing a tip. So this is me just putting myself out there and, you know, getting used to the whole idea of going on video. Yeah, and, and being an awesome guest uh, on this on this <laughs> podcast sure helps a little bit as well. Uh, Joseph, uh, Joseph, I need to do this. Yes, Joseph, you definitely need to do it. You know how it works. So just go over there and, and do it. Uh, Ruiz quickly wants to say he's a campaigner. Uh, Ruiz, I think you and I are about the same, actually the same MBTI type. 
recall went in and uh, made him curious. He was said he Shito made him curious, so he did the test and he did the ESTP. And there's also a T and an A at the end, which is new for me, by the way, because that's something that was added. But the question that I really wanted to ask, connecting to still to MBTI, going a little bit back, there's a lot of nature versus nurture, the debates going on. And I'm wondering, at what age is it okay for somebody to take the MBTI? Because I can imagine if you start off with this a little young, you can get really obsessed with this, of course. So is there also an, 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 an age limit? So... In my training, I was taught that it's a good idea for teenagers. And when I say teenagers, you have to be at least the age of 15 to 18 to get started because Myers-Briggs offers career reports as well. Now, just to put this out there, the kind of reports you get from the original Myers-Briggs, which is what I'm a practitioner for, gives you a very different report. It's very detailed, it's very thorough. Again, what you get for free, it's just limited information. What you get from a practitioner is much more. So we used to give out these career reports and it's good for teenagers to find out where they are, who they are, where they wanna be. They're at that stage where they're still nurturing their personality, they're still getting to know themselves and honestly, sometimes just really confused. So a lot of the times, teenagers may or may not be able to answer. Some of them are spot on. They know themselves really well. Some of them are still confused. That's okay. I always tell people it's okay to be confused because if you're not confused, you're never going to know who you're going to be. And it's good to be confused because you'll make mistakes. And we grow from mistakes. We don't grow from success, by the way. We grow from making our mistakes. Success is easy. It's the mistakes that help us grow. And when you grow from those mistakes, you'll know, oh, okay, so I know now that I'm not good at this. Let me explore what else I could be good at. So find out everything you're not good at. Find out everything that you're not capable of doing because that will help you rise above to become capable and finding out what you can do. So start to put that aside. So if you don't know what you want to do, you'll know what you don't want to do. I always tell people this and you rather find that out earlier than later. So it's a good idea for teenagers to do it. Absolutely. So many nuggets, Diego. There's so many, so many good pieces of content in this, in this episode. So I actually kind of got a few years ago, I went a bit ham with it. So I, I sent the, the one I did at least just, just to get a feel for you know, my circles, my friends. So I sent it to, I think, 20, 30 people. And mm-hmm. fortunately, they send their results to me. So I put this in an Excel sheet. I charted it out to see, <laughs> like, what the majority was my, I guess, circles and where I fall. So surprisingly, the biggest group was in the... I guess the range that Shanluk is in the ENFP. So it's kind of really close on the website. It's, it's a green one. I, I, I lost the name, but it was really four in particular that were like 60 to 70% of my circles. So I'm curious, does this have to do 
anything with, I guess, the type of people that are attracted to you, or is it more like some are in a higher percentage than others? And that's how they, I guess, get grouped together and kind of relate or resonate more with you. I, you know, when, if I have to talk about my circle of friends, I had all the types. There was not one dominating more than the others. The when I think back, I definitely had a lot of extroverted friends. I also had introverted friends. And I'm grateful for that because we get value from all of them. And, and the thing is, if, even if you are a certain type and you have another friend that has the same letters or the same type, you're not going to be the same. There's still going to be dimensions of your personality that are going to be different because remember, Myers-Briggs does not measure everything, okay? And if you're both introverts, your introverted side may be stronger than the other person. Maybe they have developed their extroverted side a bit more than you have, and that's what makes it different. That's why those percentages help as well. So those percentages kind of tell us, well, you seem to be leaning more on this side versus this side. And remember, we're, we're always changing. So our Myers-Briggs is supposed to be the same over the years in the sense that if we, if we record ourselves in our natural preferences, it will always be the same. It doesn't change. What will change is what we've developed. So if you see a change in the letter, it's maybe because you developed the other side. And now you think, oh, I'm, I'm more extroverted. But you're not an extrovert. You're just always going to be a natural introvert. That, that's always going to feel like home. The extroverted side will always be, feel like the vacation or the party that you went to. So it's, I, I like to give this, this, this example, right? And the women will relate to this. Like when we are in our most comfortable shoes, especially those running shoes, the ones that we can stand on all day, we can do anything with climb up the stairs, whatever. That's our MBTI type. That's where we feel most comfortable. We feel ourselves, man, I could stand on these shoes all day, all day. But you know, every once in a while, we like to take out those stilettos and we like to take out those fancy shoes and we like to wear them. But if you wear them too long, what happens? It starts to hurt. It gets uncomfortable. After a little while, you want to take it off because it's not comfortable anymore. It was nice the first two hours, but two hours of that, you've had enough. It's like, when can I just take this off and feel, get back into those comfortable shoes? That's what it comes down to. But eventually those shoes, when you wear it long enough, they start to loosen up. They start to kind of like get comfortable when you wear it longer. And then and, and that's what, I hope that makes it easier to understand how this works. So I'm gonna pick a comment from half an hour ago when Gregory asked us, I hope you guys consider extending the interview for another 30 minutes. We secretly did that, but we also have to respect Sheetal's time. And that means, Gregory, we're going to use another question of yours as the final question for, for today's episode. So short question by Gregory, or actually a pretty long one. Do you perhaps have an opinion on the big five personality test? I did a test and it was life-changing. So he would like to know if there's something similar or not. I'm honestly not able to answer that question because I'm not familiar with it. 
I have been trained with many different assessments. One of them is being the strong interest inventory, which is an interest test. And I'll talk about that another day. I am much more familiar with the Myers-Briggs. And lately, I've been doing more emotional intelligence and things like that. Ultimately, the Myers-Briggs is an emotional intelligence tool because it's a self-awareness tool. And one of the foundations of emotional intelligence is self-awareness. The more self-aware you are, the better you're able to manage your emotions, the better you're able to manage yourself as well as others. And this is why I relate so much to the Myers-Briggs because I've not only become a practitioner, I've used it so much in my life. I don't think I have diverted so much into anything else. I've taken other assessments, but it has not attracted me as much as it has with the Myers-Briggs. So I'm sorry, but I can't answer that question. No worries. And I think it's great that you just said that straight up because, you know, you are an MBTI practitioner. And I guess to substitute that last question, I have an interesting one here. And for some context, you briefly mentioned, you know, gender in your last explanation that women understand this. And that triggered a question that I had to ask from the beginning, actually. So some context, I'm in a mastermind group with podcasters. And this past week, a topic came on that women in particular either cancel more often than men or reschedule or just don't say yes as often as men to come on these types of platforms. So in your, I guess, what could you speculate or maybe use from the knowledge you have on personal personalities would be the reason behind that? Okay. I have a question before I answer that. Did a man ask that or a man say that or a woman said that? So here's the thing. This comment came from a woman who Mm -hmm. only interviews women. Okay. And she got a lot of cancellations. So she just brought the topic in. Then the, a man in my mastermind group who's into science said he noticed the same thing. He does men and women both, but he tries to balance the guests 50-50 who he invites. The ratio for women that he actually gets on is like in the single digit percentages. So, and even we had, we were in a fireside chat with Tyler Cowen. He's a famous economist, very popular. And he gave us the same observation that he really finds it unfortunate that less women come to this platform or say yes, because he experienced the same, although his favorite episodes are with women. There are multiple reasons, but I am curious, did they give the reasons why women were canceling? Because I, I, could, I could count a number of reasons this could happen. So that, that's the whole mystery. They, they're, they're trying to unravel it. Oh, they're it's trying just to unravel it. Yeah. it. Well, why don't we keep that a mystery? <laughs> so, you know, so yeah, I, I do want to say, I do want to say we haven't had any cancellations from women or schedules or anything. So I do want to make clear that for social confos, this, this story doesn't hold up, but it's just an observation that Diego came across. I think it's interesting because 
from my own experience, at least, I mean, I've done other podcasts as well. I don't think I've ever canceled. The only reason I would cancel is because of an emergency. And also because I have two children. And usually, you know, I will be like, okay, if my kids need me right now, I'm absolutely canceling, you know? But that would be maybe the only reason. And it's never happened. And, you know, I have an amazing partner who knows that if I need to be on a podcast or I need to be on a recording, I need to be doing something. We have this agreement, you know, he will take care of the kids while I do this. And when he needs to do his thing, I'm with the kids. So we have this that we both get to do what we need to do. What their reasons could be, could be many different things. And you also have to realize that, you know, women are now putting themselves out there. Not now, and I think the last 10 years, and there are a lot of women introverts and women introverts are still struggling to put themselves out there. So there could be many things. It could be that they're introverts. It could be that uh, they have other responsibilities, children being their priority. And for those who have children know this, if your children need you, you'll cancel everything else, no matter what. But men cancel too, I know that. And if they may not be seeing the women men cancellation, I think they have to dig a little deeper. I don't think we can say that women cancel more than than men, but I don't think that's fair to the women. But I think that they need to explore that further before they start generalizing that women tend to cancel this more than women. I think men, men can as well. Men also have responsibilities. They will also be thinking about their children and things like that. And, and I don't think we need to general, generalize the men-women thing and kind of just see it for what it is and just explore it further. And, you know, I've never, I've, from what I've heard from other podcasters, this is the first time I'm actually hearing something like this. So it's actually interesting, but I wouldn't look into it so much, you know. I would be like, you know what? Go with the flow, focus on what matters, focus on your guest, man or woman, and just make the most of it. We definitely made the most out of this interview. Yeah. <laughs> Shida, we really want to thank you for being here. Quickly, before we close off, how can people find you? How can people connect with you? All right. I can be found on Instagram. I can be found on LinkedIn, on Facebook. And I can be found on Twitter. Just make sure you find the right Sheetal Sujan because apparently there are a couple more and Diego was looking for me on Twitter. I'm not very active on Twitter. I promise I'm going to do better. But I'm definitely much more active on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. I like to post every now and then. I'm not a daily poster, but I do post a lot of inspirational stuff. You can find me on the Libra websites as well. Libra page not hard to find so i'm easy to find just look for libra look for sheetal sujan you'll find me no no clubhouse plug i'm on clubhouse <laughs> i'm a listener on clubhouse i enjoy my clubhouse moments i have done a couple of rooms as well it's exhausting sometimes because they could go on for hours i mean <laughs> I'd be like, all right, I got 60 minutes and I'm going to talk about this. We're not going to have a five-hour, six-hour overnight room. So yeah, Clubhouse has been a lot of learning moments. So yeah, you can find me there as well. I, every now and then I do a room there as well. Thank you very much, Shiro. This has been amazing. 
guys connect with her definitely a lot of value to be to be had and i guess with that being said this episode if you guys missed have friends who missed it definitely recommend it will be released saturday so you can rewatch re-listen on saturday send it to your friends leave us some comments what you guys thought and we will try to get back to that as much as possible with that being said chan luke yes we roll out with two very nice comments joseph saying thank you for the value guys and another one guys amazing episode thanks this was all of course thanks to our guest shito one more time last time thank you for much for being here thank you for having me yes people thank you for watching this was social convos we see you we'll see you next tuesday at nine o'clock surinamese time bye-bye